The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'd like to introduce Doug McGill, who's the founder of the Rochester Meditation Center. And Doug has been visiting a visiting uh, Gaston workshop uh, instructor since 2004, I think he said. Um, thanks for joining us this weekend, this Memorial Weekend, while Mark's on retreat. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Mary. It's just wonderful to be here. So can we somehow keep the silence going, if you know what I mean? Don't really listen to what I'm saying too much. I'm sitting up here trying not to listen to myself too much. I'm sitting up here trying to maintain my own mindfulness even as I jibber-jabber talk. Can we keep the silence going even when there's there are symbols floating around vying for our attention. Words floating in the air. Images floating in our mind. Feelings in our body. Memorial Day plans. <clears throat> Can we keep the silence going? It's Sunday morning. It's right now. Can we stay within ourselves? Can we basically let everything else go? Except what we're encountering internally. And even let that go. Now that would be a peace. That would be practicing peace. So I really like us to try that this morning. I really don't want to gum up your piece or my piece with words.
Well, Mary mentioned that down in Rochester, we have a meditation center. It's on the first floor of my house, which is a big house, and it's right on the campus of the Mayo Clinic. I mean, like three blocks away from the Mayo building. And um, we've been running since 2004, and we've been on the net since 2006, something like that. And um, because of where we are, and because people can Google, and because of Common Ground, and people just getting to know about us, uh, the Rochester Meditation Center has become a place for people to come when they're sick. <clears throat> and um, it's happened many times already that, that people will Google meditation in Rochester and they find the center, and then when they get to Rochester with their cancer or with their emphysema or with their stroke rehabilitation needs or whatever, they look us up and come. And it quite often happens that those people come to Rochester with an illness that could kill them. And they think for a while that maybe they'll get cured. And so they come to the center and we get to know them and they become our friends. And we sit with them through their illnesses, through their chemos. And it often happens that they don't make it. In the sense of, they don't keep living. And so, almost by accident, we've created a little kind of a Dharma hospice down there. And, you know, something I've seen quite a bit is people in that situation get kind of frantic. They see what's up ahead. They see they are in the middle of a big illness, so they've already hit that milestone, but they also see the possibility and sometimes the increasing likelihood of death up ahead. And they get afraid, and they get panicky and they come every single Thursday night to the Rochester Meditation Center and they really really listen to the Dharma talks and they come on Sunday morning and they really really participate in conversation and because I've gotten to know some of these people as friends I often notice that they get on Amazon and buy every spiritual book they possibly can in every every tradition <laughs> And I've been in hospital rooms and in apartments now where the bookshelves have suddenly sprouted with Sufism and Indian chanting, I mean American Indian and subcontinent India, and gurus and yogis and Christian mystics, and the books just pile up. And what I've noticed is it's so easy to It appears to be so easy to uh, 
get to that stage in life and think that the answer is in a book or in a Dharma talk. This is what I've noticed. And unfortunately, I've seen people die feeling like if they could only get to the next chapter, if they could only buy that one more book. And hopefully by coming to the center, they've had some moments of peace and fellowship and friendship. But I can tell you, I've also seen the most intense anguish, confusion, fear. It's just, just awful to see somebody who's not only fighting with their, <clears throat> with their body, uh, their body's failing them totally. And grab, they're grabbing, 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 grabbing for insights, for truths. And they're grabbing air for the most part. So that may sound harsh, but honestly, that's what I've seen. Well, I have a big library of Dharma books myself. <laughs> <clears throat> But you know, I, I really, really wish for myself that when I'm in that spot, I'm not reaching for my Dharma books. So to me, that silence that we had between 10.30 and 11... and that we're having right now. That's going to be my refuge. So I've been giving Dharma talks for quite a few years now, and somewhere about a year ago, I got uh, the charm of words just started to fade away. And I got a lot more interested in finding wisdom in another place.
hopefully you've noticed by now, if there was ever a Dharma talk where it would be suitable to just keep meditating, I hope this is the one. I really hope you're not listening to my words too carefully. Or maybe, maybe listening, but really, really understanding that I'm trying hard to put out words that point me back to myself. And I hope they would be Dharma. Meaning they would point you to yourself. Because there's no wisdom in a Dharma talk per se. It only works if the Dharma talk points you to your wisdom. Can we keep the silence going? Can we notice our own intention to be free, to breathe easy? Can we notice how that intention is strengthened by the intention of those around us? Can we notice that we're being really deeply supported by the silence of others right now? Can we resist the temptation to talk to ourselves? To get stuck? In all the usual distractions that we think are going to improve this moment. So it's kind of a paradox what we're talking about. Right? I called this talk, I just named it somewhat impulsively a few weeks ago, Exchanging Something for Nothing. didn't really know what I meant by that at the time.
Ajahn Jyoti Palo came and gave a Dharma talk in Rochester on Thursday night. I think he was here over the last couple of days here at the Common Ground giving a Dharma talk in a workshop. And um, we were having breakfast or a little morning meal in the kitchen. And somehow the conversation turned to prayer. Because uh, Jyoti Pala was telling us that a lot of people asked him, is meditation like prayer? And uh, he said he always had to ask, well, what's your version of prayer? And then he said, um, well, <clears throat> I heard Mother Teresa give a definition once of prayer that is very much like my meditation. And he said, so I was reading that a reporter once asked Mother Teresa, what do you do when you pray? And Mother Teresa said, I'm listening to God. And the reporter said, oh, really? What's God saying? And she said, oh, he's not talking. He's listening to me. Let's listen to our own silence this morning. <clears throat> J.D. Salinger, who wrote that classic book, The Catcher in the Rye, and by the way, was the world's certainly America's most famous writer for a good 20 years there in the 50s and 60s, writing short stories and no, uh, novels. And then he suddenly disappeared to a house up in New Hampshire where they say he was practicing Buddhist meditation for the rest of his life, not writing anything. One of his stories is called Teddy. And um, Teddy was a spiritual seeker trying to understand life and how to be. And um, there's a couple of passages here from Teddy that I think gets to the spirit of the silence that we're talking about. Isn't that weird? Talk about silence on a Sunday morning. And this little passage actually starts, It was on a Sunday. I remember. My sister was only a very tiny child then, and she was drinking her milk. And all of a sudden, I saw that she was God, and the milk was God. I mean, all she was doing was pouring God into God, if you know what I mean. That's a nice thought for a Sunday morning for me. I'd consider it a kind of challenge to live a life in which as many actions and words as I possibly could act or speak were 
basically milk being poured into milk. I would like my life to disappear into itself. I consider it to be a pretty good sit if that kind of thing happens too. It's really interesting. This little story, Teddy, is quite the the Dharma exposition, in fact, because he actually goes on. You might say, I mean, we might say in these Dharma halls, well, what's the enemy of empty mind or peace? And the answer often comes up from teachers, well, it's the thinking mind, isn't it, really? We think we can think our way to happiness, we can figure it out, and then we'll be happy. Oh, gosh. That's what I saw, that's what I see so many patients in Rochester trying to do. They're trying to figure it out. They're trying to think their way to peace. And what I see is that that is like trying to put out a fire by pouring gasoline on the fire. It's just the wrong way to go. There's just no peace to be found in books or any kind of intellectual system or techniques or anything like that. It's just such a tangible thing that's just right there if you know how to look for it. Anyway, in this one passage, Salinger goes on to say in Teddy's voice, You know that apple Adam ate in the Garden of Eden, referred to in the Bible? You know what was in that apple? Logic. Logic and intellectual stuff. That was all that was in it. So this is my point. What you have to do is vomit it up if you want to see things as they really are. In this story, he talks to he talks about unconscious people who are always like going out to grab pleasure or understanding, intellectual understanding. He calls them apple eaters. <laughs> he says, Teddy says, the trouble is most people don't want to see things the way they are. They don't even want to stop getting born and dying all the time. They just want new bodies all the time instead of stopping and staying with God, where it's really nice. I'd want to begin with all the real ways of looking at things, not just the way all the other apple eaters look at things. That's what I mean. So let's try not to be apple eaters, I would say. Let's be milk pourers. Milk into milk. And I wanted to share, too, with you another view on this you know, from a really good teacher on this silence. This emptiness or this nothingness, 
that we would prefer over the somethingness. Um, this is actually an email sent by a doctor at Mayo Clinic, a good friend of mine, a good friend of our groups. Um, his name is Dr. Amit Sood, and he's a doctor who prescribes meditation to his patients. Uh, he's very proud to say he doesn't prescribe drugs. He just prescribes meditation. And um, he sends out one email a month um, where he explains one or another aspect of his approach, which we could call Dharma. And this is the email that he sent out a couple of days ago. We live with two meanings in our life, visible and invisible. The visible meaning is apparent to our senses, work, relationships, possessions, and more. This visible meaning prompts us to get out of bed each morning, secure a job, earn, buy groceries, build a house, get married, and live life. All animals have this meaning, albeit considerably less complex than ours. But there is another meaning, one that is unique to us humans, the invisible meaning. It tries to answer the ultimate philosophical questions. Why are we here? What is the ultimate meaning of life? The visible meaning has a time stamp, a sense of urgency, and changes quite fast. We pursue it using our body and mind as instruments, with the body passively following the mind. The mind is guided by intellect and emotions, both limited tools, because they are short-term focused, seek, seek out for the self, and are often irrational. Hence the pursuit of visible meaning that consumes the vast proportion of current human thought, while it creates technology and enhances longevity, doesn't produce lasting peace or happiness. For last, lasting peace and happiness, we need to dig deeper to find the invisible meaning. And that's what I'm calling nothing <laughs> in my title, Exchanging Something for Nothing. I'm talking about exchanging the visible meaning for the invisible meaning here. This meaning, this invisible meaning, Dr. Sue goes on to say, looks beyond the duality of loss and gain, success and failure, growth and recession. It considers that all experiences, good or bad, pleasant or hurtful, serve a singular purpose to advance our spiritual growth. And did we hear him say that the suffering that we have in life is there for a purpose to advance our spiritual growth? Loss reminds us about our vulnerability, helping us cultivate compassion. Illness reminds us of finiteness, creating a sense of urgency for seeking higher values. Without such a reminder, life goes on as usual. People who heed to such reminders, however, get transformed. They begin to notice the silent purpose that runs the world. They go beyond duality, beyond cause and effect, and beyond arguments. All visible meaning then serves the invisible. A constant hum of desires is replaced by a passionate spiritual quest. Nothing needs to be known. For life is a continuum of experience and love. 
Good and bad are less relevant definitions because good loses its connection with pleasant and bad loses its connection with unpleasant. Intellect and emotions now serve the invisible meaning within, which is the nature of who we are. The goal to reach this meaning may seem far, but even a few steps in that direction can transform. Don't wait for adversity to seek the invisible meaning. That is a common mistake almost every human being makes. Seeking such meaning isn't optional. It is absolutely essential if you want your children and grandchildren to live in a world that loves them just as you do. So to me, that is really a deep Dharma message. To me, there are so many insights that seem familiar, helpful, true. Very much aligned with our practice here. There are many, many paths, aren't there? that have different words attached to the path because for reasons of circumstance and conditions they get those particular labels but it's clear that it's one path really I would I certainly recognize in these words that same sense of disappointment or compassion, even a better word, for those who wait for the extremity of severe illness or death to get on that path and to start learning where the real truth is, the world, where the real wisdom is, and where real peace is to be found. So I've seen four or five people of the sort that I was telling you about at the beginning of this talk. Dr. Sood sees three or four or five a day. And he uses a word, actually, in here, which is also right in the midst of the suttas, as it's usually translated which is heedfulness, being heedful. Illness reminds us of finiteness, creating a sense of urgency for seeking higher values. Without such a reminder, life goes on as usual. People who heed to such reminders, however, get transformed. The Buddha talked about heedfulness all the time. And he was also always saying, don't wait until you get really sick and start to die before you get on this path start to notice right now because when you find the peace that's not in a book and is definitely not in a Dharma talk but is only here then you're ready interestingly not just to get sick and, and die but you're ready to live and then everything that happens is just living A constant hum of desires, there's another Buddhist word, is replaced by a passionate spiritual quest. 
that's the ardency. That's the word that's often used in this tr uh, track, too. Ardency and energy, virya, even desire. That's the positive desire in Buddhist terms, the positive desire, the actual positive, skillful, wholesome desire to be free. No guilt to be, no guilt to having that. No, that's pure, pure oxygen. Yeah. Passionate spiritual quest. But even there, there's something very interesting to me, and that's been really helpful to me. Uh, that's that's uh, there's this element in um, in the idea of a passionate spiritual quest, which, if we're not careful, that passionate spiritual quest can just mean going to Amazon to get another Dharma book, <laughs> or going to another Dharma talk, just one more, because that's the one for sure that's going to have the answer, right? You know, sometimes it can be a lot, lot easier to go to Common Ground or the Rochester Meditation Center than it is to go here for some reason, some strange human reason. But this is where we have to go. This is what these teachers are telling us. And we got to get things straight in here. Um... So, yes, have a passionate spiritual quest, but, but notice if, let me put it this way, sometimes you might just sit down and say, what do I want? This is what I did. This is a big thing for me. What do I want? Oh, I want freedom. Great, I started writing that down. And I decided, okay, I'm going to use these words. I want freedom, I want peace. And I was going to check inside on how I felt as I wrote each word. This was me meeting myself. I, I write the word I. I felt okay with that. I feel like an I. Looks like I'm an I. Okay, I'm okay. I. Good. That's a good, honest word. I could not write the word want, my friends. I could not. I had one sentence in that word. Had one word in that sentence, which was I. And then I could not write the word want. Because it hurt too much. Even if the word on the other side of want was freedom. I said I was going to write one on a sentence that felt good and that would help me understand myself, so to speak. I could write I, but I could not write want because I didn't want to hurt myself. By wanting anything. So that was a big aha moment for me. I know I want, 
But now I know that, you know what, freedom is actually not wanting. And staying with the eye. Oh. And by that eye, I'm not talking about ego, I'm just talking about the body sense, the breathing, the being, the listening, the pouring of milk into milk, the silence. That's where I go for refuge. I stick with the I. I let the want be, because I'm a human. But I know it's uh, uh, not that good for me. And whether it's when I'm sick and dying, or whether, whether it's just when I'm living, I just try to let the want go. And to just just be um, and that's another way of explaining what I mean by exchanging something for nothing so let's just um, sit for a minute or so as we listen to the sound of the children outside there and then I'll ring the bell and we can we can meditate and pray with the kids there's activity, even when there's words, actions, movements. Let's try to keep the silence going. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.